Hello? 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 Hello, it's me. Yes, Is hey. it you? It's me, and it's definitely you. It's definitely me, definitely me. I'm good with that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mouthly Clyde. Today is our Sunday brunch. How are you all doing? I don't know why I'm asking that, because he's cannot answer me. I'm doing fine. What about you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. Are you excited to get going today? I'm excited. I have a big pile of news. I believe you'll have a big pile of news. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, just sending this, I'm just sending this link. If you want to get started, do you have any lightweight topics, any thoughts in your mind that you want to get off your head before we start the news today? I've got a little silly one that I, I thought because this, this, I thought it sounded kind of fun, but also a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. which was a pilot decided to fly 80 miles a round trip from the airport to a wee farm shop because he fancied a, a beef sandwich. So Jesus. it doesn't, men- doesn't mention the pilot's name, but he flew from the farm shop near Chipping, near Preston Land, to the city airport in Salford because him and his pal fancied the sandwich and there were nothing to eat. There were no, nothing open at the airport, so they decided to fly there. They've been chinned on it. They've also mentioned that it's the farmer said that they're actually worth flying for the roast beef barns, which I guess is a role. Well, when when the hunger hits, I guess you need to do what yeah. you do, don't you, Look, Sometimes you're hungry. The, they're saying it's a flagrant abuse of lockdown rules and the Manchester police are looking into it. Which... Is there any food that you would... We've travelled for food before. We've... We have travelled for food before. And, like, there, there's been times that, you know, when I've, my mum's been in America or Australia or whatever, I've told her to bring me back certain things that I like and stuff. But we have... We've travelled great distances for food before. Yeah. It used to be a pilgrimage up to Edinburgh to get donuts. Yeah, but now we don't have to. No. So saying that, though, I would rather go to the, like, the Krispy Kreme and get the fresh donuts than get the ones in Tesco because they just taste like shit. I don't like them so much. I like the fresh. Yep. And, like, you know, see, in America, you can, like, I don't know if you can date in this country. I've been to the ones in this country when they've had the light on saying hot hour. But when you go to the ones in America, when they've got the hot hour sign on, you get a free glazed donut when you're sitting there, like, sort of looking and waiting. You don't even need to buy anything. They'll just eat a free glazed donut when it's hot hour. And you get little hot, hot donuts at that point. Like, in this country, I just feel like, even if you go when that light's on, they'll give you just whatever shit's sitting there. They won't give you fresh. No, I've noticed that, too. Like, I always hear about hot hour, and it just seems like, the lights a gimmick that they put on. Like I've never had a hot. The only hot donuts I've had is when we come home and put them in the microwave. Um, but like if I can just continue on what you're saying there, speaking of people taking advantage of their privilege and things, I have a story here from the Sunday Times of a a lady named Anna Sorkin. She is a German and she moved over to Manhattan, and um, what she done is basically became a grifter and swindled New York's high society. She's a sort of a parable, they're saying, of the Instagram age. She's sort of in the vein of, I don't know if you're like, been almost 40 years old, I don't know if you've seen these children on TikTok, but there's people that they go in the hashtag, like, stay-at-home daughter and sugar baby and stuff like that, and basically sit and flaunt how much wealth they've got and how they live in their daddy's money and this girl, in particular the stay-at-home daughter girl, she goes in and she's, she's sort of going between a Christian Dior bag. It's the same bag, but one in black, one in white. Couldn't decide, so she's spending 30 grand and buying both the bags, as you would. But anyway, this Anna Sorkin uh, character... 
German uh, moved over to New York, to Manhattan, and took on the name Anna Delvey and became what they're saying is a Gatsby-esque figure. So she stated that she was heiress to a £50 million fortune. She was um, dishing out £100, tip, $100, $100 tips, sort of living the high life, putting it all on Instagram. She was going to the you know Soho House, like the, the private members club and stuff, um, saying that she had all this backstory. But the reality was that she was a Russian-born daughter of a, a truck driver who was basically just using bad checks. She was skipping out in her hotel bill, wasting other people's money on sort of like fancy designer clothes, champagne, all the beauty treatments, lavish holidays and all that sort of stuff. Then these, the actual rich people started to sort of smell a rat because her hair was like a mess. She was wearing the same clothes too often. She was always crashing people's apartments. Didn't have credit cards, always paid things in cash. Then in 2017, she ran what they called a summer of scam. Um, and she used, uh, she convinced City National Bank to loan her $100,000, which she says was a small change to her being the heiress of the £50 million fortune. She would repay it within days. She, in fact, blew it on clothes, beauty treatments and boutique hotels. She created a fake financial advisor <clears throat> to obtain a $22 million loan to fund the Anna Delvey Foundation, which is just a fake club um, to create a six-storey building on Park Avenue South. She scammed a whole bunch of friends and everything. Um, and basically, she's, there was a, a, a big, high pro, a big highly profiled trial of it in 2019. But it just goes to show you the lengths people will go to to try and put on this life now they just, even if it means they're going to go to prison for the rest of their life they just want to be seen to be someday even if it's for a wee while is that just on instagram see the sugar baby sugar daddy thing that's like mm-hmm. no that's just like going you pay me for just sitting about i can some of them like i think some of them like there is like a sort of sexual aspect to their relationship but i've seen people on, on tiktok do question and answers and not all of them are like a sort of relationships of a sexual nature it could just be that people just want company or like quite often like if you read that you remember the that um diary of a call girl show the woman that was based on like she actually was an escort for a time that was non-sexual but then became um that she would have sex with people and stuff but her whole thing behind it was because she was very highly educated her name is actually dr brooke magnati um, and she's i think she's got like a master she did a doctorate all that sort of stuff very highly intelligent woman could speak several languages, interest in classical music and all that sort of stuff. So she was good conversation. She didn't look like, you know, like what you would probably a stereotypical escort you'd have in your mind, sort of trashy blonde and things. And I think it's the idea of an escort is sort of like moving away from that sort of trashiness. Mm. Like, I think people are a bit more discerning of the clientele. Like, the clientele is a bit more discerning of what they want. They want somebody that's a bit cultured, that can speak to them, can go on dates, they can maybe take to their office Christmas party, can present as a sort of... A substitute partner in their life because some people have got careers that make them travel over the world or they're too busy or whatever the case may be and they just want somebody that's going to they don't have to put a work into a relationship they just want somebody they can have and have that good good conversation with maybe some nice holidays some nice weekends and stuff but then when it suits them that they have to focus on their real life they can without having to have that sort of distraction of a relationship to have to be concerned about so paying for the girlfriend experience and also paying for brains now instead of just boobs yeah, exactly. I think it still exists, obviously. Obviously, like, prostitution is the oldest profession ever, so I'm sure it still exists that you can get like, a cheap hookup if that's what you're after, but I know there's definitely like, a sort of market for the sort of mere discerning clientele, maybe the mere sort of wealthy person that's looking for like, a companion, really. Yeah, just doesn't want to eat alone and wants to go to shows and not sit themselves. Mm-hmm. Um. But anyway, on that diving board, we'll dive straight into our real news. As usual, Sunday brunch is 
we've got a massive amount of news for you today because we're just we're rounding up the news for the week and and also stories breaking off through the day. So we've got a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff for you. Um, I don't know if anybody joined us last night, but we had a special guest, Michael Frizzle, and he's going to be joining us again today and speaking to us about the football. Um, the Celtic game started at 12 o'clock today. It should be almost finished now, I think. But anyway, Michael's going to be on with us later on. He's going to update us on that situation. So if you didn't hear last night, um, the whole thing I broke yesterday, we'll talk about it in a wee bit as well. Um, but the whole thing is if, if Celtic loses today, but it's, it's apparently looking likely that they will, um, then Rangers is going to beat the Celtics ten in a row streak thing, and Rangers no, is no. going to have, have. Is that not it? No, stop them getting ten in a row. Oh, that's what I'm saying. They stopped a streak thing. That's what I just fucking said. Oh, sorry. I thought you said they'll get ten in a row. No, I, I apologize. No, I didn't say that. I know what I'm talking about. I listened to him last night. Yeah. I know about sports now. I talked about sports for an hour last night. Fully versed in Scottish football. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm fully versed and rugby. I'm like, I'm fucking, I'm getting into it. Right. But we're going to do the news first. Right. We're not in weather. We're doing news in the sports, but we're not in the weather. We're not reaching that far yet. Um, we'll start with support for the union ahead of Sturgeon's inquiry evidence. I'll say that this is from the paper Scotland on Sunday, so take that bias with what you will. They have conducted a study, the Scotland on Sunday paper, um, saying that a majority of Scots would now vote in favour of remaining in the United Kingdom should an uh, independence referendum be held tomorrow. Um, and the actual stats on that is 46%, according to their poll of 1,015 Scots between March 4th and 5th, 46% of them are saying that they would support no, 43% would support yes, 10% do not know. But that was taken by um, Scotland on Sunday, and I will say they've got their own biases to that. Take that with what you will. They do have a massive union jack on the front cover of Nicholas Sturgeon's face, so bear that in mind. We've got a comment. Will I hit it? Yes, please. I would like to say hello to Ashley KP and Will J. Brown. I hope you're both having a mixture of a day, of course. Obviously, you come from the best country in the world, Scotland. Uh, I think that means Scotland forever. In Gaelic. I don't know. Big respect. That is thank really you. impressive. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I've never known how to pronounce that. I've never said that. Well done for you. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. It's nice. Um, what else? What else? What else? So we've got. <clears throat> I so there's oh, so we've got on the Scottish elections. We're going to be talking about the Scottish elections a lot. Today now marks sixty days until the sixth of May elections, and um, for the Scottish Parliament, we're going to be talking about that a lot. Hopefully, we're going to have some interviews for you. We're trying to get that lined up now, but um, just watch this space we'll, we'll have good stuff for you in the lead up to that but you've got 60 yeah. days now until the election but you actually have 30 days to register for the postal vote um, you'll probably see this coming week you're going to see a lot of political parties mostly the SNP on television on the radio online campaigning for you to register for postal votes just for the fact that they want to reduce the amount of people that's going to be at polling stations on the 6th of May the deadline to register for a postal vote is the 6th of April so 30 days previous so you've got 30 days right now to register for postal votes. It's April 6th at 5pm, the deadline for that closes. Um, and then 30 days after that closes, it's going to be the election. Is. If you haven't registered for that and don't know how to do it, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, if you don't know how to register for postal vote, you can go into Mouth of the Clyde, at Mouth of the Clyde on Instagram, and we've got a link tree in our bio. The top two options, one of them is to request um, 
a form from your electoral office, your, your local electoral registration office, and one of them is just a form that you can download and print on your own. Um, so if you've got a printer at home, there's an option for that. If not, you can get the, the electoral office to send it out to you. Um, although I believe this week you actually did get one in the post, didn't you, Brownie? So I don't know, are you a, a party member or why did you get that? Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask for it. They just sent it out in the sense of I haven't asked. I think they're doing now with people that are around. They're just asking, do they want postal? Yeah. You're not a party member, are you? You're not like, signed up to any party or anything? Do I have to pay for it? Um, yeah, I think you do, but it's maybe about. Aye. I think for students, it's like a pound a year or something. It's very cheap, so I'm, I'm guessing you're not. Aye, <clears> no. Um, but Aye. on the subject of, of postal votes, um, in February, 67,000 more people registered for postal vote, taking the total proportion of Scots registered to 769,329, which represents 18.38% of the population. Um, and I believe it was the SNP's aim for their campaign that's starting this week is to get a million Scots to register. So they're very almost there and I would encourage you to register just for your own safety and things so you don't have to go to the polls on the day. Like it's something that I enjoy, I like going to the polls, but just for everybody's safety and to keep things simple, I think it's easier, but just register for postal vote. It doesn't feel like an election if you've not taken the time out of your day to go up, I think. I know, but just to be safe. Um, just to touch on quickly, we spoke on this last night, but there's been a small outbreak, is what they're saying, a small outbreak of COVID in the Scottish Parliament building. Um, the uh, Holyrood Chief Executive, David McGill, has said people working in the upper basement have tested positive and they're now self-isolating. He said it's very unlikely that members of Parliament and other parliamentary staff would have been in contact with the workers and caught the virus from them and parliamentary business should continue. Um, so when he said upper basement, I kind of got the like the in my in my brain like the IT crowds that just sort of keep these like sort of wee little IT trolls doing there some some place in the basement so maybe that should be place. near them so it's probably safe. Uh, sort of place I would be. Sort of like the <laughs> by the sun. And the, the dungeon. Same, yeah. The same people that work in Argos. Yeah, them kind of people. Um on the topic of COVID tests, the a union attacked a company called Real Gourmet, who operate in Edinburgh. Um, for encouraging their staff to lie to the Scottish government in order to obtain COVID tests. Um, it, it was due to the scarcity at the time of the COVID tests and the Real Gourmet Company um, have told their workers, quote, when you book a test, please put down that you have at least one symptom so you actually get a test done. Um, there was an email sent out which an insider leaked from the service centre there. The manager, Colin Lusted, sent an email out, um, quote, telling us to make up that we had symptoms to get a test. It was sent out at least 10 days after the company closed its Edinburgh operation following a COVID outbreak. Um, Real Gourmet's spokesperson told the Scotsman, we fully recognise that on this occasion the wrong advice was given to our team. We will be reinforcing the correct protocols to our colleagues. Their health and the health of our customers remains priority. Sure, Jan. Um, and the Real Maritime and Transport Union have expressed outrage <clears throat> with the Scottish organiser Mick Hogg saying it is clear is a clear admission by management expecting employees to tell lies in order to obtain a test. This is absolutely disgraceful and our members will be seeking legal remedy. Um, and at least 12 of Real Gourmet's 60 Edinburgh staff contracted the virus, which led to the outbreak um, and the centre being closed more than two weeks ago. So we might hear more on that if there's a lawsuit. So just lying to get a test? Mm-hmm. I think that the tests were in short supply. They told them to lie and say they had symptoms, which... I mean, that's kind of came back and bite them in the hole because they end up all getting COVID, so it didn't work out well. That's no good, is it? If anytime you try any of that shit, it will come back and hit you. That's what I've noticed. 
as soon as they're like, oh, lie, it'll be all right. You're like, mm, I don't know. Yep. Um, tomorrow is International Women's Day, the launch of International Women's Day, um, and a manifesto has been drawn up to well, to launch tomorrow called the Manifesto for Women's Rights in Scotland. That's produced by Women Speak Scotland, and it's highlighting six areas they believe are under threat, um, and that candidates who are considering attempting running for um, political office or political parties and for existing political parties to uphold these sort of six areas they believe are under threat. The spokeswoman for them said, women have been fighting for rights for over 100 years, but are now facing a serious backlash. We are seeing the advances being made watered down one by one. Public bodies and organisations too often dismiss women's concerns. Many organisations now routinely confuse sex and gender, which has the effect of reducing or removing women's rights. Um, pretty inflammatory statement there, but this is always on the back. Obviously, International Women's Day tomorrow, but on the back of the, the inquiry that's going on this week, we're seeing... Um, Alex Salmond testified last week, the First Minister this week. Um, the charity goes on to say, Scottish parliamentary candidates should be aware that women's votes count. We are nearly 52% of the electorate and we intend to make sure that women's rights and concerns are not ignored during this election, nor by the incoming government. So, International Women's Day tomorrow, so if he's wanting to do something to celebrate that, that's going on tomorrow. Are you waiting for us? Well, I was going to wait until you went into the SNP thing because I've got I've got a statement from the former number two, Jim Sellers, but I might wait for that. You can go on but, that as well. I didn't want to touch too much on the SNP thing today because I think we've done it to death this week as well as a whole bunch of other media. So, and we've got a lot of other topics today. So if you've got something that you want to say, you can go ahead and talk about that just now. Oh, I was mentioning that Jim Sellers, the, follow, the former number two, has come out and he's been saying that Nicholas Sturgeon's emotional appearance was all just good acting. That, you know, he says it was more of a botch and everything that she did was un- unbelievable and highly implausible. Mm. Uh, he hit out and he says that she was choking back crocodile tears. And That's lies. I don't know what he's getting from this at all. But he just went all in on her, saying that she's got amnesia. And, like, and who is this that he spoke to for this, this comment? Does it say? It doesn't. It just... Yeah. Probably online. It doesn't say anything where the interview came from. Yeah. It says that he said it. Might have shouted out his window. He's an ex-sexual like, man. As usual, we, we just do a rundown of the papers on our Sunday brunch. We're not discouraging you from buying them. We obviously can't get through everything in the short time that we're on, so if you do want to go out and grab them, um, you should, and then there's more details in there, because we can't obviously cover everything. Um, but you'll probably see this week, and we've seen for the past few days, there's, the national newspapers are taking this opportunity to absolutely slay the SNP, and in my view, that's just done due to their lack of confidence about the upcoming election, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. Um, as we say, see, on Wednesday, we did a poll on Mouth of the Clyde, um, asking the viewers over there if they feel this inquiry is going to make a long-lasting effect on the SNP or change Indy's minds on voting. Um, and we had an 82% saying no, that it wouldn't change their mind and they feel this is just a, a short blip. So that's their views, not ours, but that's what happened this week. Um, but on this sort of UK government issue, try to hide their own shit under a pile, the Pretty Patel bullying thing that we talked about, um, she was being sued by Sir Philip Rutnam over bullying claims. The government then had to go out and pay £340,000 to him as well as his legal costs. We covered this on Wednesday um, and we're midweek roundup. 
Uh, in a statement, the Home Office has said that the government and Sir Philip had, quote, jointly concluded that this is in both parties' best interest to reach a settlement at this stage. The government does not accept liability in this matter, and it was right that the government defended the case. Um, the sort of this, what they're saying in the Scotsman is the payout seems to suggest that this fabled magic money tree does in fact exist and can be vigorously shaken when a government minister is accused of wrongdoing. Um, so take with that what you will. Um, the Shadow Home Secretary, Nick Sim uh, Thomas Simmons, said taxpayers will be appalled at having to pick up the bill for the Home Secretary's unacceptable behaviour. And Labour are now questioning how much in, the, in total the settlement was with Sir Philip Rutnam and how much that's cost the taxpayer and, and get that broke down. He said the whole episode continues to raise serious questions about the standards of behaviour, responsibility and leadership at the highest levels of government. What do you think about this? So as we said the other day, in, in, in him accepting this, in Sir Philip Rutnam accepting this money from government, he can't then go back and sue them and, and, and ask for any extra retribution from them. By him taking this settlement, that's that it's a line drawn under the and yeah, this also it, means um, as well that Pretty Patel or Boris Johnson will not need to appear at an inquiry <clears throat> and, and justify what went on here. And if the if the bullying claims were in fact true, um, an inquiry such as we're seeing right now with the royal family, which we'll get into later on, because they're having to run a, a bullying inquiry also. So they've avoided so, that by paying out £340,000 plus of your money. Settled out of court is the term, isn't it? Settled out of court, indeed. So it doesn't have to go there. Nothing needs to be said. All the money's just shut up and take that. Mm -hmm. And go away. So, means he can't write a book or anything like that either. Yeah, I would imagine they'd be getting him to, to sign some sort of NDA. Yeah, until we yeah. do that. But in the sort of line of the Sasha Swire book that came out last year, it doesn't say that he's misses or some other family member won't. So keep your eyes peeled for that coming. You never know. Um, But I've got a question for you. Are you a registered organ donor? Believe so. I think I've got a card, but I, I don't know. It used to be in a wallet, but I've lost a wallet, so I don't know. Well, you need to check up on it because as of this month, the 26th of March, that's when the Human Tissue Authorisation Scotland Act comes into effect. Um, and what that that new law is going to mean um, is that the, the the organ and tissue donation system is now an opt-out system rather than opt-in oh. it was before. So what that means is that most adults who die in circumstances where they are able to donate will be considered as having agreed already to be a donor unless you record a decision not to. So unless you previously decide not to, um, then you'll be eligible for organ do donation. Um, the statistics on that, an average of more than 500 people are waiting for an organ transplant at any one time. And in addition, and I think you consider on this, two things actually, the first one being only 1% of people actually die in circumstances where you can be an organ donor. Because for that to happen, you'd have to be in a clinical setting where, where, where you're on life support, whatever the situation is, because you'd have to keep blood and oxygen going to them organs to keep them alive to the moment they actually harvest them. If you were, for example, die at home and then be taken into well, an undertaker's or whatever, like a, a day later, like a couple hours later even, like they're dead, they're, they're useless and then they can't be used is, is what they're saying here. Um, another thing to consider as well, even if you have not opted out, so you, with this new law, you automatically be opted in. Um, it's ultimately down to your family. Your family's still going to be consulted and they'll all, overall, at the time of death, they'll still have the final say. So it would be up to them at that time as well. But it's, I, I think it's important. I think it's a, a good thing that's been brought in because I would feel like a, a lot of people maybe wouldn't care what would happen to their tissue and, and organs mm. when they die, but they probably just haven't actually looked into it and arranged it. And by making it this, I feel like that's a really good idea. But if you guys have got any views on that and you want to get in touch and tell us your opinions on that, please do. We'd like to hear from you. You can put a wee comment on here 
um, a wee voice memo or if you'd rather not speak you can send it into the at mouth of the Clyde Instagram or email at gmail.com um, and we will just uh, read it out so you don't have to put your voice on you know, any... uh, you know I didn't know about that like, the whole idea of like you have to be in like a clinical setting for them to take things that's brand new to me like I thought it was like just dead and they'd be like alright what's he got I didn't know it had to be like already there for them to do that Aye, so they'd have to keep the blood and the oxygen sort of flowing through the organs because, like, the tissue and muscle death happens really, really quickly. Like, as, as, as soon as your blood your sort of stops pumping through your organs, it's pretty much useless. Like, it's dead then. No, I, I, I never knew. Like, yeah. What What's your opinion? With, like, my body's knackered, so they, they wouldn't get anything. Aye, same. Like, I think, because I'm type 1 diabetic, so I think that and some other, like, medical conditions I've got, I think it excludes me from doing it anyway, but I'd be totally up for it. And I did opt in when I got my driving license thing and all that. Like I, I opted in to do it anyway, so I'm already one. So, I mean, if it comes to a time when my body finally packs up and they decide they want anything, why then? You can have it. This is my Just final will and testament on this podcast. Help yourselves. Help yourself to whatever you fancy. Well, my eyes are dodgy. Like, you can't see through them. Like... But I suppose maybe they'd be able to take skin or something from me. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Um, you do have beautiful soft skin, so that would work. Well, thank you. I've spent a lot on um, face creams and beauty products over the years, so they can have all that all that good makeup I've had. <clears throat> um, there has been a call by the organisers of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. They still don't know the fate of this year's upcoming um, festival. It was obviously cancelled due to COVID last year, um, and their chief executive, Shona McCarthy, <clears throat> has suggested the event could play a huge part in the country's recovery from the pandemic if performers are able to be reunited with the audience in August. Um, she said that the, the, the festival faces absolutely enormous damage to its reputation as a cultural capital and festival city if, it, if festivals were not able to help stage a full recovery in time. Their, their, 75th, their 75th anniversary of the Fringe is actually next year, 2022. She said the picture is uncertain just now, the position that we are in and that many of our companies and venues are in as we're absolutely ready to put on a live festival, but we don't have the clarity or the guidance or the understanding about what this pandemic is going to do to say for certain that it can happen. Um, and the thing that's really important in all this is to consider how many people this affects, like how many people are actually um, engaged and employed in that, in that sort of revenue. M- it pretty much saves Edinburgh for the whole year, that one time. Like mm-hmm. that, that month, is it August? It's August, yeah. Yeah, that August month, like, everyone comes from all around the world like every hotel's booked, like you're not going to get a hotel. Like mm. every every place that's got enough space to fit like four people in is booked out for a show. Yeah, like that last year must have like killed them. Like, imagine mm-hmm. like it's what she said as well is that cultural activity, engagement, and coming together as audiences are going to be a massive part of the recovery. It's why the Edinburgh Festival was set up in the first place to help Europe emerge out of the horrors of the Second World War. It's why City of Culture titles have been given to cities like Glasgow, Derry and Liverpool to enable them to emerge from hard times and to blossom into flower. It's not going to be any different coming out of COVID. No, I, I've I don't see going. it happening this year. I, I love the Fringe and like, I, would, I would love it to go on, but I really don't see us getting to the Fringe this year. But already other festivals are cancelled. Like the Download Festival is cancelled. That's on to next year. They've already mm-hmm. spoke about that's the second year in a row it's been cancelled. But they've now they've mentioned the headliners. Last of these cancelled. I think that's the the fiftieth anniversary is no longer going to be on the fiftieth year. Oh wow! So 
Right, I, I, I really don't see it. I don't see it happening this year, which is a shame. I think some festivals, no, I don't think all festivals are cancelled yet. They're all like, all we're waiting, but we know it's going to go. Like, no one's going to feel, even if someone turned around and says, Ask you a ticket for Glastonbury, are you going to be comfortable like, going standing in a big field with another 100,000 people? Definitely not. And I've actually got some news on that. If you bear with me, I just grab this other paper because you've. You've blindsided me here by springing this on me early, so riff about something while I grab this. Yeah, I'm just saying that I don't know if I would be comfortable with it. Like the idea, like when we used to go to concerts, I was crushed down the front and getting cups of water thrown over me, and like people sweat. Like the idea that even that now is just not my idea of a good time. Mm, definitely not. I don't know if that's old because I think the last gig I went to, I sat. I'm getting to that sort of age where I just I want to sit down. Um, right here, I've got it here. I apologise, but he, he sprung that on me rather. I sprung um, it. He sprung it on me. I wasn't expecting this at this point of the podcast, but I've got it on me. Um, musicians and fans need to be told by the government that they must be vaccinated in order to attend music festivals this summer, according to Britain's festival directors. Festival tickets have been selling in record time since the government set out its roadmap to recovery last month. Um, uh, organizer Josh Robinson of the Weekend in the Woods Drum and Bass Festival in South East London. He said a lot of us want to urge government to follow the example set up already in other areas like travel, where people will have to show vaccination passports. Um, another organizer of the Fairport Convention Folk Festival, it's called Crop Ready, said what we really need is for government to say everybody needs a vaccination to get in. We need that clarity rather than having to go to people and explain. Um, for that festival, that crop ready, they've sold 16,000 tickets in five hours for their festival. Jeez. Uh, so how, how would you feel about that if they say to you, you'd have to like, prove to you for the vaccine or you're not going in? I don't see why that matters anyway, because it doesn't mean you're fucking immune to it. You can still get the bastard thing. Yeah. It just shows your papers. It's just the way the world's going to be now. Like, mm. It shows that and you can come in. But as you said, you can still catch it. It's just mm. like, oh, I've had my fancy vaccine. It's just on, Im- on immunity, actually, sorry to interrupt, but um, apparently there's been a, a booking surge for British people booking to go to Cyprus and Portugal. Travel agents have seen a big surge in interest in bookings for holidays abroad um, since announced last week that Boris would be the British, uh, that Cyprus and Portugal would be allowing British tourists in. Most recent holiday bookings are for July and August, with some in May. Cyprus said it has already started to welcome UK visitors, which is fucking terrifying. Um, the quote from Tui spokesperson said, Cyprus has always been a favourite favorite for our customers and we've seen a real uptick in bookings. Thomas Cook, Thomas Cook saw a quarter more searches for Cyprus on Friday and than on Thursday and people were spending 40% longer on hotel pages, suggesting they were sort of looking to book. Um, their spokesperson said, so far Portugal has not had many, as many bookings as normal. I think we'll see an increase in interest at the weekend and you definitely will know that the, the Weekend Guardian has published this article for you, so that's handy. Um, the Cypriot government has has come out and um, sorry, uh, I they've come out and said that um, that for people in Cyprus, uh, Portuguese government has said that those who tested negative or were quote unquote immune could visit Portugal. What does immunity from COVID nineteen look like? Because apparently Portugal knows something that we don't know. Portugal is also, if you remember, Ash, is the place that is decriminalised all drugs. So, oh, so is that why people want to go there? That's one of the, the things for the old Portugal. Remember they went bankrupt? Was it Portugal that went totally bankrupt a couple of years ago? The EU went, knocked them out, or was that Greece? Greece. But I'm sure Portugal's like that. We watched a documentary on it, I think. Was this, 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 
one of these countries could just be another. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But um, I've got some other stuff on that as well because apparently there's been some Scottish businesses trying to fucking scam people and no. for holidays. And I don't know why. Who is it that's booking holidays? If you're booking a holiday, get in contact with me so I can scream at you. Why are you booking a fucking holiday? Let me grab this so I can go in. So book, booking a holiday, right? So well, I wouldn't want to be going abroad right now anyway. Like I don't have a mask that matches my my speedos, so it's not something that I would want to be. Would you wear a mask? Like, would that wouldn't work if I was on a beach in my speedos with a mask on? Like, the tan wouldn't properly go either. Yeah, I don't know. Let's play um, play these comments. We've got to only find this story here to get through this and moan about this. All right, let's go. I guess I got two people from Ireland. How's it going? What's it like? What's weather like? Is it raining? Nice day, bad day. Come on, it is with some news. Does he think we're, we're Irish? We're saying we're Irish. We're from Scottish, mate. But I we're from Scottish. Scotland. We're close, like almost Ireland. We're kind of across the water, yeah. but we're Scottish. If I've got shitty accent, if we were Irish, we'd sound much sexier than this. And it's grey. I it's, it's grey though, but we're having a nice day. We're enjoying the news. What about yourself? Where are you from? Let's play it. There's, uh, I've seen a raft of people on on their Instagrams now, starting to post next year's holidays actually as opposed to this year, um, which was interesting. <clears throat> That's Michael Frizzle. Michael Frizzle, he's our sports correspondent. He's going to be speaking to us in a wee bit about the sports. Um, but the story about the Scottish people scamming folk. Scots are being warned of a staycation ripoff with concerns about holiday prices doubling. In some cases, as the UK eases restrictions on travel in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, there's a story here about a man, Stuart McLean, he's a painter and decorator from Midlothian. He tried to book a family holiday at Haven in Berwick-upon-Tweed. Um, you know, on the website, it's like a seven-day break in October for £293. Um, and he says he got kicked off the website due to a technical error. The website crashed out. When he returned a couple of minutes later, the price had risen by over £100 to £397. He said supply and demand is one thing, booking customers off when they're about to pay and raising prices while they're trying to get back on the site is totally different. We issued a complaint that was met with a predictable reply and they end up booking a holiday in Yorkshire. Um, it's talking about the tourism industry here, just sort of further on what we're talking about, about the Edinburgh Fringe. An estimated 15.5 million visitors are attracted to Scotland with 3.5 million coming from overseas. Tourists spend around £5 billion a year in Scotland and the value of the sector to the wider economy is estimated to be £10.5 billion. The tourism industry employs 218,000 people, which accounts for more than 8% of Scottish employment across a range of occupations and skills, which is fucking, that's an enormous sector. Like, to think that all oh, that is not any income at the moment, that's a, a scary prospect. Just cut off. Mm-hmm. No totally cut man. off. Right, let's go again. Yeah. Hey, Willie Brown, I heard you can't do a wheelie. Can you do a wheelie? No, I, I can't do a wheelie. I'm not I thought you would have been bike. able to since you you got a fancy chopper bike. But fa- the fancy chopper bike's built for that. Like there's a lot of weight at the back, but it's the whole like kind of try to put my weight and I fall over. Mm, it's a lot I, of weight. I've, I've tried a I've tried a wheelie, but I'm not very good at it. Can, I wish can, I could do it. You've been out in that bike. That's quite nice. The old chopper. No, but I wish I could be like wheelies. I used to see people when I was younger, like. Um, like they would go on their boyfriend's bike and like stand on like wee metal stick out bits on the back tire, and they would get like they would like sort of stand on the back and get a ride around on their boyfriend's bike. But I had neither a boyfriend nor a bike to ride on, so I just had my own bike. Stunt in my life. Nobody to ride for me. 
I've got a wee bit at the back, if you want to ride on that. I've got a wee, a wee pouch, a wee... A wee you offering me a, a ride from you? Yeah. Do you want a backy? Right, on that, next comment. Are you from Scottish, are you? Are you from Scottish, are you? Yeah, man, yeah. What was that? Yeah. That was, that was a man that asked if we were Irish, and now that he's saying we're, we're Scottish. That's, right. that's, that's indeed fact. Ah. I'm not good with these accents, I'm from UK. As you can probably tell with sound of my voice. No, that's alright. It was a good attempt to the accent, we appreciate it. We were talking about bad Scottish accents a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but yours was pretty good, we enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, I'll go to another thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, parents, nearly one third of concerned parents, think it will take at least one school year for their child to recover. Learning losses during the pandemic. Around two in three parents are concerned their child has missed out on learning as a result of school closures over the last year. And one third think recovery will take a school year or more. Um, the Institute for Fiscal Studies have said most parents agree that their child has lost out academically over the last year. But while close to half of those think the damage will be relatively short-lived, one in ten secondary school parents think their child will never catch up. Um, we actually done a poll over on Mouth of the Clyde here. Let me just grab that real quick, but... And we were asking our viewers over there um, if when the schools return, they should be focusing on sort of more emotional needs and like physical needs, such as in their sort of arts and creative things and like physical education. And there's a, a quote from Paul Whiteman, who's national, uh, na- the head of the National Association of Head Teachers. He has said, what's important off the bat is to get children, especially young children, back used to the routines and the, soci- the socialisation of schools and actually give teachers a chance to learn how each child has reacted to what they've missed and been through and what's missing. Um, we done a, a poll of 36 people, and it's split right down the middle, 50-50, think that they should be focusing on emotional needs, 50-50 and 50% think they should be focusing on the missed curriculum um, that they've missed over the past year. But have you guys got any views on that? Would you think that you'd prefer the schools are focusing on sort of catching your kids up with what they've missed academically or sort of seeing if they're okay mentally health-wise and focusing on things that are a bit more fun to get them back into socialising with their friends and stuff? Would you feel like as parents or carers is most important to your kids? Um, let's play our comments. Fascinating. Yep. Get our children out to do wheelies. I mean, I think the kids' mental health is more important than knowing your algebra. <laughs> Whiskey! She's one of your favourites. We love you. But yeah, I agree with you. I would if I, I don't have kids and I don't care for any children. Um, but I think if I did and they were going back to school, I would rather they focused on their mental health, doing things that were fun for them, and getting them back into that routine of sort of getting up early again, getting into the school building, socialising with people. Because if they haven't seen some of their friends for like several months, and for some cases since last year, some people haven't been back since then. Like I think it'd be more important then that they get back to seeing their friends and sort of rebuilding those relationships, getting yeah. to know their teachers who they don't know well because. Like a kid's um, uh, memory is, is short. Like if they're not around mm. people all the time, like I know for my wee cousins, if they don't see people all the time, they're unfamiliar with them, they're not comfortable. And if they're going to be open to learning and things like that, they need to be comfortable with who they're with. So if I was a parent or carer, I'd much rather they focus on things like that. What, what would be your view on that, Brownie? Look, more, more vocational learning, more like art and nice things instead of like going in and giving them a tough thing on English and stuff. But I was yeah. thinking more about, see kids that started in primary one on this, like they've not had any time really in school. Like they went from look, what 
what's the difference between their learning and say the kids that were went into primary one a couple of years beforehand? You know, like mm-hmm. that's the main chunk of. Like, I now know that in nurseries that they're teaching reading and writing, but the main chunk comes from you're not really playing in the sandpit anymore when you go into primary one, but you're not covering that at all. And look, like, that's out. And mm-hmm. that's usually the biggest part of that is meeting people. Think of how many times, like, the wee ones we know go on about how they've got new best friends and new best friends and friends and friends and friends. And that's yeah, it's a big thing. thing. Take... Yeah. I think the thing with schools is, <clears throat> like, the kids are so forced into these routines and expectations and oh they're missing this and missing that but we know somebody that does home education for her children and she's now got um a 14 year old who has gained enough qualifications through home ed and it's to such a level in her education that she's eligible for university education so now she's actually having to face the prospect of that she's having i think it's i think she's having two years out now of her study and she can only actually attend the uni when she's 16 but that's like how advanced you can be with home ed as an option like it's not mandatory that your kids go to school so well, like, I know for some people it has been tough doing the home ed thing and, and not having them at school and for, like, socialisation, that's difficult for them and stuff. But it, just because they do go to school doesn't mean they have to. It means that that's the only option. There's different options. And there's whole communities and swathes of people that educate their children at home all the time. So there must be other ways around it. And, like, I know people couldn't have their kids at, at groups and clubs and things during the pandemic, but that's not to say that it's not a good option. And, and I mean, if, if you ever had kids, would you consider giving them home ed? I don't think I would be perfectly qualified to, to teach my children. I've got learning disabilities myself. So no, but I, I, I believe with, with the person we know that does home ed with her children, I believe that she doesn't actually force like, a rigorous sort of timetable on her kids and tell her, oh, you're going to study maths for an hour and a half and do this for an hour and a half. That's very much like a sort of formal, like academic, like in yeah. school sort of routine. What she'll do is let her kids' interests lead them and do what they want to do. So say like, they'll read a book and they'll have interest in, say, the Second World War. They'll go down a whole path of researching that and they'll sort of learn through play and learn through real life. And for someone oh. like you that's like got dyslexia and dyspraxia, maybe that would have been more helpful to you oh, as well to learn alternatively. Well, I would rather that, especially go to a Catholic primary school where you get like an hour a day learning about God, which was probably... Useless. Like, yeah, useless. Me and Bryce were talking about that, where he was, he got an extra hour of learning, where we got to learn about sacraments and stuff and stuff yeah. like that. But I, I would think if the kid was like me, I would probably would have been best to let, let give what I do need structure, or I would mm. sit and look at shoes. Yeah. But if you told me like later on, I want you to tell me about World War Two, like I would give you like a blow for blow on it. Like I, uh, you'd get like, obsessed by it and research it. Let's listen to our comments and see if anybody's got any input on this. Is it a case of you don't have children, or you're not allowed near children? <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I think that's a sick burn on you, Brownie. <laughs> Brown is he's allowed near children. I know the moustache is questionable and dodgy, but he's allowed near children. He's very good with children. He's he's a nice person. He's not getting any questionable elements to his character. You're on mute, by the way, Brownie. I can hear you shouting next door. <laughs> I'm good with kids. Like, I get on with kids. Like I'm on probably the same level as kids. I just don't want any of my own. Yeah, we can have kids. We just don't want them. We're right. not together. We're not a couple. We're not having like kids together, but we just don't want Unless you want them. No, no. <laughs> Next. I think it has to be tailored probably to the child, um, but also on like the age they're at as well. Um, so that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think home ed is for 
certain children and I think some children like would benefit more from a formal education but I think so much of the time people are railroaded into like they must go to primary school they must go to nursery they must go to secondary school and follow this very much like rigorous set out path it's like when you look back into the history of it and stuff like that it's like the way that we're like kids we're sending kids to school at the times that we are that was to fit in really back in the day when the industrial revolution happened and they sent kids to school so their parents could go work in factories back in the day the schools were attached to the factories so the parents could be in there working in the wings next door getting their education done it was done so to facilitate the adults going to work and we still stick to that to, to this day like i think a lot of people would even question their own abilities of oh i don't have the ability to home educate my child and i think probably mm-hmm. you'd, you'd find that you might be more capable than you think see the the other thing with that is that with like, i don't know i could be totally wrong here with home educating a child you'd be taking away the social elements of like meeting people yeah. and school dances one. and that. There's a there's a family I watch that on um they're called Ballinger family on YouTube and they have got I think they've got five or six children but they're all ranging in ages I think between like a year old and maybe thirteen fourteen years old they home educate all those children um, and what they do they've got a very much like sort of talking on um like extracurricular things so their kids will they'll do like gymnastics or they'll do instruments or um, like various sports or they'll, they, in, during lockdown they've done Zoom classes a lot where they'll go in and they'll do the re-exercises in front of their computer or learn their languages or their instrument or whatever um, but I think I, I, from what I've heard that's a big thing in like, the home ed communities to go to groups quite a bit and like sort of associate with other home ed kids and stuff like that so it's not the fact that you don't get that socialisation aspect but I, I see where you're coming from um, Billy Eilish was homeschooled when right? I watched that documentary she, her and her brother were homeschooled and they both and look like, how advanced they are in music. Yeah, they passed the and art as well. Aren't they both artists? Yeah, the mum let them specialise on what they gave them the. Yeah. Well, them... let's listen to our comments because we've got them coming through. Let's get people's opinions. Actually, why is it most girls in this app have a face for radio? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Like, I, I've got a face for radio as well. I'm afraid I, I don't know where the hot girls hang out. I would imagine on TikTok or something, Instagram, but, um. It's easier for us ugly girls to hide behind the radio. You've you got a TikTok too. I wouldn't say you were ugly, do you? I've seen your dance videos. My dance videos are awful. But I didn't have a face for radio. That's very upsetting for a man in a <laughs> crowd. <laughs> I know a few people who home educate and there's a pretty big um, community. Like They're all really close and constantly having days out and do a lot of their um, learning outdoors as well. So if I could, if I had the time, I would. But um, I've got three kids and I'm just not having that. <laughs> that must be a thing also. Like I mean, it's easy for us to sit as, as people without children, but times that we do babysit my cousins or whatever, it's so full on and you're like counting down that moment of like, oh, I'm dropping them back at their parents at two o'clock. How many hours is it? So for a parent, like not that you don't love your children, of course, but to have that time of, oh, they're going to be at school between, uh, between this time and this time, I can get the housework done, I can go in and get my groceries, I can get whatever I need done. So that, I, I suppose that's an aspect of it as well. Like, and even if you like, if you know somebody that, that, that works full-time, if you're a full-time parent and just need stuff done in the house, you still need that time, I suppose. And for your own life as well, your own interest and stuff like that, like you need that time on your own. But it's an interesting topic. Um, yeah. And see, remember in the week as well, we were talking about the whole with the, with the Nicholas Sturgeon thing, and we were talking about the Lord Advocate and the sort of the dual role that he has. I've got um, some information on this because a Scottish peer named, so you probably heard of um, Ming Campbell, now Sir Ming Campbell, the Lib Dem, 
from back in the day. He has come out and said that Scotland should consider giving greater authority to the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service and appoint a role similar to what they have in England called the Director of Public Prosecutions. Um, and that's just due to the fact that so the current Lord Advocate is um, James Wolfe QC. So his role is he's both a government, a government minister and head of the COPFS. So he's, he's sort of like this conflict of interest in the sort of Alex Salmon inquiry. We were talking about that in the week. And the, the, there's been like it, it, this isn't the first time it's happened. Like, and it's happened for years and years. Um, the question role that's Lord Advocate, and I think it's sort of one of these cyclical things that comes up in Scottish politics. Um, but Sir Sir Ming Campbell, the Scottish peer, um, I hate, oh, I hate, oh, I can I can't stand peerages and house lords and stuff. But anyway, he's come out and said we have always prided ourselves on the Scottish legal system, but perhaps it's time to borrow something from south of the border. The Attorney General in England is a member of the government and has a dual responsibility and as a result. But in addition to that, there's the Office of the DPP, which means there's further distancing between the Advocate General and prosecuting decisions. So, I mean, I think you were talking about that the other day, Brownie, that you think is, well, there should be two rules for this, that it shouldn't be that somebody is a Scottish government minister. So in, this, in the case of James Wolfe QC, just now the current Lord Advocate, he's representing the Scottish government as a minister, but he's also representing the head of the CFPFS. Um, so really in charge of and overseeing the whole Alex Salmon situation, so there's a conflict of interest there. Can it be that, because like, he, he's come out and said, um, that, uh, Min Campbell's come out and said that he's not questioning um, James Wolfe QC at all, he's known him for a long time and he's, he's he doesn't question his ability and stuff like that, um, but it's just the fact that it, it can be expected of the MD to hold any sort of objectivity in a role like that. Do you guys have any views on that and do you think that the Lord Advocate should be a separate role? Do you think two people should take up that job? I think they should. What do you think? Mute. Again, it should be people that's got nothing to do with it. Like in the sort of way of we were talking about sports teams, it would be like having a guy involved with Celtic being the referee at a Celtic Rangers game. Like they're not going to be not an objective at all. It be yeah, someone else. Sorry for the the mutage there. I know. I can hear you talking in the next room, and you're just on mute on here. <laughs> That's no good. Um, the another Lib Dem, Alex Cole Hamilton, has hit out at Nicola Sturgeon, saying the SNP have become entitled. He said, "My five years in Parliament have opened my eyes to just how fat and entitled the SNP have become in fourteen years of government. There is a fire in the mountain of Scottish politics right now. Once great institutions have been tainted by the rot, now seeps through every extremity of the party government." Um, and he says that the administration in Holyrood has been failing and in decline long before COVID nineteen arrived. Uh, the Lib Dems have also come out and said that they are the best alternative to the current SNP government, despite holding just five of the 129 seats in the Scottish Parliament. Leader Willie Rennie insisted they could have an influence, and he believes uh, the Scottish Conservatives are set to lose seats in the elections, and Scottish Labour is going to take time to find their, seat, find their feet with their new leader, Anna Sarwar, who's just been recently appointed. Um, what do you think on that? Do you think Lib Dems is a good alternative? No, uh, is it only the islands that they get? Every time I see it, it's always just the top of Scotland that vote for them. It's, it's very, very for, few. It's coming up for an election year, or it is mm. an election year. He's mm-hmm. going to try to sell you and tell you that you can get magic beans and like, if yeah. you vote him, you can fly. Well, it's just He's just going to feed you a whole bunch of shit. Um, like, uh, whatever be... you hear in the next few months, they're going to say whatever they need to say to get you to vote for them. Well, who was the Lib Dem that was running for Prime Minister like in the last election? Joe Swinson. Joe Swinson had let... 
no more chance of fucking Lord Buckethead getting the Prime Minister <laughs> than she. It was like, nobody liked her, like, I didn't even know she was Scottish and she was running over here and like she was like, I'm running this and people from her place were like, we've got, a, we need our potholes done. Yeah. And she's going on about um, let's listen to our comment and then I've got another thing to go on here. Let's go. Uh, second guy's not wrong at all. Um, <clears throat> Scotland's crying out for political reform. Um, so whether NDRF2 happens or she loses the next election or wins the next election, um, so I think political reform is required in this country very, very quickly, um, in my opinion again. I would agree with that as well. I think that a lot of things in this country will rest on our laurels for a period of time. And I think it's time to sort of look at some of these things and, and sort of question it. Things like the Lord Advocate and sort of like funding of local authorities and things like that. So we're going to come on to this in just a minute. Um, as we talked about earlier in the week, you guys might have missed it, but um, we were talking about the £1 billion sort of local outreach thing that Rishi Sunak announced as part of his budget. Um, but they're now calling it to that because apparently... It's, it's actually just making up for freezes in funding that the local uh, authorities are getting. Um, so it's saying here, uh, from the Observer today, it was supposed to redraw the economic map of Britain, but funding announced by Rishi Sunak last week for 45 struggling towns is worth less than half the amount cut from their local budgets. Um, so the local authority finances were analysed by the Observer and revealed that 45 towns are located in council areas that have suffered budget cuts worth in excess of £2.4 billion since the Tories came to power in 2010. And just to give you these examples of this, I know it's English towns, but this is what their study went into. Um, the town of Rochdale, they're set to receive £23.6 million from this town's fund that Rishi Sunak announced. They spent almost, 100 mil- they spent almost £100 million less in that local authority after taking into account of inflation. Um, and the neighbouring town of Bolton, uh, they're due to get £22.9 million from the pot. They've suffered cuts worth £74 million. So in the grand scheme of things, what he's announced really isn't great at all. Um, the Centre for Progressive Policy has come out and spoke on this. Their head of policy, Zoe Billingham, has said, to level up left-behind places, we need to see investment in social infrastructure, in social care, libraries, skills and youth services. This will be essential for an inclusive economic recovery. So far, we have seen little evidence to, su- to suggest that levelling up agenda is on the right track. Um, and Steve Reid, the Shadow Community Secretary, has said the town's fund was a drop in the ocean compared with a decade of austerity. Vanity projects such as rebuilding New York's medieval gatehouse doesn't fix major inequalities between our regions, between our regions, revive local economies or restore crucial services like social care. And I think that's 100% right because the, the Tories are very much ones for sort of passion projects. And not, not that things like that are important and like preserving our history and stuff isn't important, but when you've got people sitting relying on food banks and like we spoke about the other day, schools that instead of running like a harvest festival and like giving things to a local food bank are now keeping the food that families donate for pupils at their own school because they literally don't have the money to feed their own kids, their own families during this pandemic. So when it comes to things like that, and then the Tories are going to sit back and say, oh, I'm going to restore a, a medieval gatehouse in my constituency, shove that right up your ass. Absolutely not. But they're not redoing someone's big house that turns out to be like Beatrix Potter's old house or something like that but it, I'm trying to get names again it's the the leader of the of the house the big skeleton man that we always make fun of oh yeah his, his wife Lin, no not him the, not the speaker the the leader 
his name's shouting at me. Leader of what? Just the leader of the house. What, the speaker, do you mean? Oh, no. Jacob Reese Mogg. You mean Jacob Reese Mogg? Moggy, Moggy's family own that house, do they not? Do they not yeah. own, and then they're getting money off the government to uh, do the house up. Government funding to do up their own house, yeah. Um, but on this sort of like food scarcity and food bank chat, um, they're talking about relaxing the post Brexit plans for border checks. Um, the reason for that was there was a. Again, we're going to fact check on this because Mike Gove spoke on this this week and talked a lot of shit and the paper has fact checked him. Uh, ministers are preparing to relax post-Brexit plans for border checks on food and other imports from the EU because of fears they will further damage trade and could lead to severe shortages in UK supermarkets. Um, the new Brexit minister, Lord Frost, is considering allowing quote-unquote lighter touch controls on imports from April 1st than they are currently planning and scaling back plans for full custom checks, including physical inspections, which were due to begin on 1st of July. This could mean imports being allowed in, even if clerical errors have been made by European companies before fellow cabinet ministers this week, as evidence grows of how Brexit has hit trade with the EU. A Downing Street source confirmed last night um, that Lord Frost had already ordered a review of the timetable to ensure we are not imposing unnecessary burdens on business, but added it was an early in the process and no decisions have been made. So they're recognising here, I'll go further than this, I'll just get this here, um, there, there is shortages going to be happening and so they're basically having to relax the promises they, they made for people that did vote for Brexit because it's not feasible. A senior industry figure um, said that the worry is that if we go ahead with more checks and move to checks on imports, then exporters will not be prepared and on this side we are not ready for that either. There is not the infrastructure in place yet or the number of customs officials necessary to carry all of this out. We have already seen exports badly affected. The next nightmare could be imports. Um, Michael Gove has attempted to downplay the effects of Brexit on the UK trade. A survey last week by the Food and Drink Federation of its members that send goods to the EU found a 45% drop in exports since January 1st, which is absolutely massive, 45% since the 1st of January. Um, Chancellor Rishi Sunak said, we're working through these things with the Joint Committee and I think we're looking at everything. If there are problems, we're trying to address them. The systems in IT are all on track. We are keeping everything under review to make sure it's as smooth as possible. And again, I would take that with the biggest fucking tub of salt you can find in your house, because this is exactly what they said about the vaccination rollout. They don't have anything planned. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the IT. And that's what industry specialists are saying. That's not just my opinion. People within the industry and unions that are run this industry and the people who work in it are saying they are not prepared for this, but the Tories are saying they are. So take that with what you will. What side do you want to take it on? See, the thing with that, like, you do a lot of our food shopping, so mm. you buy a lot of fruit. Have you seen, like, a lift in fruit? Yes. That will be coming in from... I've seen certain fruits get much cheaper. Cause that's what I've noticed a big difference in is, is fruit. I've noticed certain fruits get much, much cheaper, like almost to the point of pretty much being free. Like, it's so, so cheap for certain things. Whereas other things, so such as, like, strawberries and like a lot of berries, a lot of grapes and stuff like that watermelons, things like that, are either very expensive or not available at all. And there was a sign-up in our local Tesco, Tesco um, maybe two months ago, saying that due to Brexit, there's been a delay of it coming in. And so that's why they didn't have any strawberries. And it's been really, really hard to get them lately. I mean, I know it's like a tiny thing, and it sounds like I'm just like, poor me complaining, but it's not. It's just something that I've personally noticed. So that's what I would like to know. is What have you personally noticed over Brexit? Yeah, have you guys noticed come... that there's less things in the ba- demand? Things are more in demand or more expensive. You haven't been able to get like things like that. Have you? Have you guys noticed any of that? 
Um, the Tories also are getting absolutely slated on this pay rise thing. We done a poll on Mouth of the Clyde as well to see if people believed it. It was fair because it's come out through LBC Radio. Um, they did an interview there, um, and it's turned out that the workers at HMRC are to get a thirteen percent pay rise, which is to be backdated to I think May of last year. So they're set to get a pretty big payout, whereas NHS workers are NHS quote unquote heroes, as the government called them, um, are is set to get a one percent uh, pay offer, um revealed that 72% of the public believe the pay deal should be more generous. They're also facing a backlash from, the Tories, I said, are also facing a backlash from their own supporters. The opinion poll found that a clear majority of Conservative voters, being 58% of those, believe the increase is too low, and more than a third of the public, 35%, said they were angry about the offer. Um, When he delivered the budget, they're saying that he, in effect, cut the pay of some nurses by hundreds of pounds. Newly qualified nurses would face a real terms pay cut of £307 over the next two years, according to Annalise Dodd, who is the Shadow Chancellor. Labour said the figure reflected a £7.5 billion council tax rise, a freeze in the income tax, personal allowance and rising inflation. The freeze will put 1.3 million people into paying tax uh, and create another million higher rate taxpayers over the next five years. Private concerns were raised with the Treasury. Many MPs now believe the offer, the 1% offer will be revisited. Um, in May when recommended salary levels for the health service are reviewed at that point because people are just not happy with it and I think it's absolutely disgusting like we're going to sit and go out and clap for these people and put them into like, dangerous situations and stuff but we're not going to fucking pay them like, it's like you said last night they don't want your applause they want you to fucking pay them for the job that they're yeah. doing like, I think it's scandalous we're even having a conversation it's, they're not even a, I wonder what it is like to try to get into nursing now because back in my day it was when I went for it 10 years ago it was like a push thing and you had to pretty, pretty much you couldn't get in there were like 500 people going for a 30 person course and stuff I wonder if it's the same yeah I don't know if push. this is just I don't know if this is just a situation being misrepresented to me but just my taking from it is when I've applied applied for like college courses or uni courses in the past I've seen that uh, nursing students get quite a high bursary um, they get quite a lot of like, financial incentives and like, additional help and things. So I think there is quite a big push from the Scottish government, at least, to get people into nursing and things. Um, but as we talked about last week on Sunday Brunch, it's not just nursing that's the issue because there's a huge backlist of people awaiting surgeries, not just due to COVID, but because there's like a plethora of roles for surgeons and like anesthesiologists and sort of specialist roles within the NHS that are not being filled. Um, and the the statistics that the paper published last Sunday that we covered, you can go back and listen to that last Sunday Brunch, um, but it said that it was a, a, enough to uh, open another 75 hospitals with the amount of vacancies that were lying open, which is like crazy. So even when we come out of COVID, not just, the operations were delayed not only because of COVID, but even come out of this, there's not going to be enough surgeons to do some of these surgeries, which is really, really frightening. Because some of these people are waiting on surgeries, they're, like, their life depends on it. That is a, a lot. Like, I'm still waiting on things, and I think you're still waiting on things too. Yeah, but in, in our things aren't even urgent. Well, there's people that are waiting no. for more urgent things than us, you know. But the one thing that shocked me, though, I was listening to LBC, I think, two days ago, um, and Annalise Dodds, the Shadow Chancellor, she came out and said that, uh, to the effect of, I think I said this the other night, but anyway, she said to the effect of that they were concerned about healthcare workers and grateful to NHS and clap for carers and all that, but now they're concerned about hospitality workers um, and sort of getting the economy back up and running. So basically, in, in sort of layman's terms, fuck the NHS, we've done that bit, we've clapped trees on and stuff like that, but now we're putting all our money in to get the economy open back up again, get people spending money, getting people back out to the pubs and restaurants and stuff, forget about the NHS. But meanwhile, the NHS are still there, still doing the best they yeah. can 
like on oftentimes not enough budget and working long 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 bloody hours in 12 hour shifts in these hospitals watching like the saddest circumstances you can imagine like they go through Daily. so so much and uh, like, the fact that we even have to have conversations that they're not getting paid enough is shocking to me like they, they should be getting aye, they should be getting paid well enough um but let's listen to this comment we have here we had to wait a long long time at the start of the year as well um as a few things transitioned and shipping companies changed their systems and stuff like that um, to actually get our coffee in. So we'd normally be 10 days and we were nearly a month at the start of the year to get our green beans delivered. So that's interesting for people that don't know, uh, Michael, um, he's in Inverclyde, same as us, and he owns a local business um, doing like really cool coffee and stuff. They're called uh, the Clyde Coffee Company. We'll, we'll link the, the Clyde Coffee on your Instagram, you'll be able to see them, but they've got a really cool business, but that's interesting. Because um, I spoke to Michael last night on Messenger and said we'd like to do an interview with him at some point on the website. So we can maybe talk about that as well, because I think that's interesting that somebody that's actually experiencing this from sort of a, a business point of view. Yeah. I, I, read a, I read a thread on Twitter that I don't know if Michael can sort of verify if that's his experience, but this man put on a thread of that he ran a business in which he was importing and exporting things from the EU and the system that they have to use they then changed it to another one that was much more complicated to use. There was like fatal errors built into the system that they have to use that they couldn't sort of sort out. Um, and the helpline that they could get for that, there was nobody manning it. And so there was no help available for them. So there was nothing they could actually do like to stop these delays and to get any help. So I don't know if he's had that experience. We could maybe speak to him about that. We're going to speak to him about the, the whole Ibrox and Range of Celtic situation. To, is the football game finished, by the way? Is, football the game's finished, yeah. Did they lose? Rangers are now Scottish champions. Oh, right, let's get Michael on. Like, give us the updates on this. Give us your feelings on this. What is happening? Because well, before, before Michael comes on, we'll very quickly. I know everybody's going to be annoyed at this because all we've spoke all week is the royal family. But there is more on this. It's all over every front cover of the newspaper today. So we have to touch on it. We'll just do it very, very briefly, and then we'll go into the football with Michael, which will be more interesting. Tease, I'm sure. Um, but there, the papers are saying there's a generation gap. Um, in Britain, of how people are viewing the royal family. This is ahead of Meghan and Harry's um, chat with Oprah. It's going to be screening it on CBS in America this evening. It's going to be on ITV here tomorrow night. Um, so we'll be watching that and we'll be reporting back and giving you the, the breakdown on that if you don't fancy watching it. Um, but the person that's commented on it is Robert Lacey, who's author and royal advisor to The Crown on Netflix. He's saying, anthropologically, it's so interesting. It's always been my concern, really. In a secular society, the royal family are the closest thing we have to religion. Down the years, they only matter if they matter to people, and clearly they still do. That is why Meghan and Harry are going on primetime television in America. Uh, there is great appeal this time for young people. I'm also enormously struck by the differences between American and British reactions. It's quite extraordinary how Americans see it solely as a question of the Sussexes, quote-unquote, finding freedom, as the book was titled, whereas here we, are still, here, whereas here we still tend to accept you'll be restricted if you're a member of the royal family. So... Um, the poll that we done on Mouth of the Clyde on this was because there was um, Penny Junior, who's the royal biographer to Prince Charles, said, Meghan is like Diana, and so far she is a divisive figure without necessarily intending to be. There's a generational divide now too, because more younger people probably feel she's a victim, while older people don't see it that way. We put our poll on um, and surveyed 37 people, um, and we got uh, 57% yes, Meghan is the victim in this situation, 43% no, that she is not. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it's portrayed in this documentary and, and sort of what the outcome of that is Well with that I was looking today and you know it's 
40, 400,000 that is charged for a 30 second advert between that Oprah thing. That's more than most, the only other thing that can charge that much was the Super Bowl. That's more than what the, what it was to get ads between Game of Thrones and ads between Breaking Bad. God, really? Yeah. So, and as I mentioned last night. That's Super Bowl. That, the, the All-Star, the NBA All-Star game is going on an hour after because they don't want to compete with it because, you know, they wouldn't get the views. Mm. Um, there was something else I wanted to touch on real quick because there was another documentary this week from um, Denise Fergus talk, and she's in the paper today talking about her son she's obviously Jamie Bulger's mum uh, that's the young boy that was murdered in 1993 um, I'm sure you've all heard a lot about this there's a two part documentary on this week called Lost Boy, The Killing of James Bulger that'll be on at 9pm on Wednesday night and on Thursday night, it's in two parts it's going to retell the event hour by hour of the 12th of February 1993 when Denise had been in shopping and um, put O'Mears side, let go of her son's hand, off he went and she sadly uh, was to never see him alive again. Um, we understand that's probably quite an upsetting uh, topic for some people. We probably were, are going to talk about this in the podcast. We'll watch that show so if it's upsetting for yourself you don't want to hear about it or see it, we'll put it very well noted on the podcast today that we're going to talk about it. Um, so that you can you can miss that one if you want to. We don't want to upset him doing that to understand yeah. that upsetting topic, obviously. Um, and another thing, just before we on is sports as well as Deliveroo. Um, they are set to list themselves on the London stock market. Um, and ahead of that, they're trying to th- do a thank you fund for their riders. Um, they're lining up sixteen million pounds for that. Um, with those delivering the most orders, set to receive up to ten thousand pounds. So they're going to be going on the London stock market. Um, they're putting aside £50 million worth of shares for their customers to also back um, the business they get their dinner from. The Rider Fund will only make payments to those who have worked with Deliveroo for at least a year and completed 2,000 orders. Payments will be on a sliding scale from a minimum of £200 up to a maximum of £10,000. Depending on the number of orders the riders have delivered, the average payout is expected to be around £440. Um, Deliveroo said it's offering riders a cash payout because it cannot legally give them shares in the stock market launch as they are not employees. They've obviously faced heavy criticism on this in the past, I'm sure you're all aware, um, because they they argue that their riders are self-employed, like independent contractors. They're not entitled in, in Deliveroo's view to the national minimum wage, holiday pay, pension, any of that sort of stuff. And now they're not entitled to some of these stock shares because they are classed as self-employed. So they'll be getting this bonus if they have worked there for um, at least a year and completed that 2,000 orders, which some people have not. I mean, imagine people that do working in London compared to people that are dating. <clears throat> I mean, we don't have it in Greenock yet, but a town like this, really a relatively small population. And But anyway, they're saying that from tomorrow, so Monday, any delivery customer who has placed an order will also be able to register their interest in applying for shares in the planned flotation using, com- using the company's app under an offer dubbed Great Food with a Side of Shares. So that will be available tomorrow if you're interested in that. But, uh, I will not be backing them if they don't want to pay their workers properly. Fuck them. I always get the thing with the tips. Like, I always feel weird about that. I think we talked mm. about that already. We did. Did I just hear a comment come in? Yep. We'll play it. Yep, please. I put a comment on one of the articles that was going about last week. And I basically said, imagine patching your gran for your bird. And I got some quite... Colourful responses, it was quite funny. Um, but it's a strange one, and I will be watching tomorrow night. Imagine That's my <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but I, I mean, 
we, we, we've talked about this already, obviously, this Megan Harry situation, but um, I had the sort of view of, I think it's probably stuff Harry's wanted to do anyway, and she's sort of given him the confidence to do it, and she's probably taken the flack for it, but I'm interested to see this documentary tomorrow. I do not get the whole situation of them saying they don't want the attention, and they want to move, to away, move away to America and stuff like that, but then they went and hired the PR company Sunshine Fact to represent them, and that was done in September of 2019, um, when they actually only announced it. So, September 2019, they hired Sunshine, Sunshine Sachs, who is a, a PR firm who uh, sort of famously represented uh, Harvey Weinstein and stuff back in the day. And then in the December of 2019, they didn't spend Christmas with the royal family, which is tradition in that family. Then in the January of 2020, as we know, they announced that they were off. Um, so I feel they had it in the pipeline for a long time. I feel they always knew they were going to do that. Really, like, I would say, I would probably argue even back to when they were getting engaged and married, they probably had the view of, we're not going to be in this country forever. Because you would have those conversations, that's not something that you decide on. Like, that's a long-term plan. Well, without a doubt. But they just don't want to be under that control. Now they're, they're taking that, now they're a brand. And when they say they don't want, they want to stay quiet and all that, you don't stay quiet by dancing on a double-decker bus driving through the Hollywood Hills. That's... Well, exactly. Um, let's get a comment here. I can see the merchandise right now. Fannies before grannies. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's actually speaking of merchandise an interesting cover on the Daily Star today which I think you've got in there Will um, they've got the sick a, bag. A, a, a cut out sick bag on the, the cover of the Daily Star today if you want to purchase that um, it's a, a sick bag with Megan and Harry on it but they've got a black bar over their eyes so they could sort of quote unquote not be identified um, due to the lawsuit and various things and they refer to them as the shy couple and things like this um, so the mind. press are either fully having a field day with this yeah, they don't mention their names at all in it. There's the shy couple with a big black bar right across the faces. I wonder what happened with this new baby, like what sort of publicity that will get. Because as we know, like um, with the baby they've got now, Archie, like they put a, a statement earlier, it was in the morning on the day that he was born, saying that she was in labour. But at that point, he'd actually been born several hours ago. Yeah. The whole thing of, of they didn't want him to have a title because they wanted him to have a normal life, which is fair enough. They didn't want to announce who his godparents were. There was a whole um, sort of hoo ha with people that are, like, the, you know, the, the Twitter brigade that are against, you know, Megan and Harry and stuff, because the birth, the birth announcement that was put on the easel that's always done for every royal birth outside Buckingham Palace, the one that was put for Archie was different from the others. Um, and there's a lot of question around this. I'm sure you've seen there's conspiracy theories of whether, in fact, Megan was pregnant at all or if she used a surrogate and various things. But I'm, I'm interested to see how this situation will be with the new baby if they go about it in the same way if there's any sort of publicity this baby where they'll announce sort of the names or any you know details of its life whatever because obviously people do have the interest and they're very well aware of that because as I've spoke about I think they get 12 million quid off Spotify for the podcast of which there's one episode compared to us we've got 10 that we use for free I think they've got one and they get like 12 million quid and I think Netflix have given them like 30 million or something crazy like that is that right? Yeah, we're still shopping with Netflix at the minute. Uh, we're, we're still shopping with Netflix and stuff like that and Spotify have not given me a, a figure yet but <laughs> no, but they do pay for this shit. <laughs> it's going to work. We're going to get there. We'll get her one day. And um, but we do have our financial backers, which we want to take the opportunity to thank. Usually, our our, our sponsors, Inverclyde Boiler Company. We are so so grateful to them. Um, they sponsor us so that we're able to buy all these Sunday newspapers, so you guys don't have to, because it comes to twenty six pounds. It's very expensive. Um, That's an so expensive day. 
it is an expensive day, but we're so grateful to them for supporting us. And um, we love supporting local business. We'd really encourage you guys to as well. Even if you're not in the Greenock area, support the businesses local to you. The pandemic's been really, really hard for, for small businesses. And we want to try and support our friends and neighbours rather than these sort of big big businesses and stuff like that. So help your local community when you can. It's a really nice thing to do. And you know, quite often the best people are in your local community, such as our sports correspondent, Michael Frizzle who we're going to speak to now, I think, about the Rangers situation, because me and Will have no knowledge of that at all. So Michael's going to tell us the, the rundown what of happened? what's happened. Any exciting bits in the Celtic match, what it means now. It basically means now that Rangers are going to win, isn't it? That's the, the thing. But Michael's you know the specialist thing, on this, so he'll, he'll you, help us through. You know the thing is, you're asking a Celtic supporter to go on and talk about Rangers winning, who I know. would probably not be the most chuffed person. I know, he's probably upset a... just now about Celtic losing, but... Uh, but we were saying last night that we were happy for them and stuff. Like even like, because I'm not a football fan, neither are you and stuff. But it's nice to see people like I know they broke social distancing and stuff yesterday. Going to Ibrox with the Rangers fans, but they were happy and stuff, and they got a wee chance to celebrate. And like Michael was saying, that for all these years of you know like they had the financial troubles and had to build themselves all back up and everything. So the fact that their fans have supported them for a long time have got this moment to go and celebrate and be happy and stuff. Like if the pandemic and if everything their teams went through, like. To some people, sports are such a big thing, and that's what, like, yeah, that's... like to some families, that's the sort of backbone of their family. That's what like, sort of holds like sort of father son relationships together, as far as I can see. So, like, I bet to some people, yesterday's a day they're not going to forget, and today, I suppose, as well, a day they're not going to forget either. So, yeah, another thing that I noticed, remember when we were watching the the march yesterday when the the car was coming in, and we thought they were fencing on one side. That was yeah. actually just railings on the road. That was oh, just that right? pavement, so there wasn't set it was up. a bad quality video, so I wasn't sure if it had been it was sort of pre-arranged or set up or whatever. See, actually, something I just want to say quickly, I was going to talk about this last night, but we got distracted about sports as well, and we got distracted again today because there's been a lot of news, but Zoella is pregnant, and we spoke on that a couple of episodes ago about her having her sex toys, but we just wanted to say we're aware of her pregnancy, and if you're not, now you are. She's expecting a baby girl in September with her boyfriend, Alfie Days, in their multi-million pound home in uh, Brighton. So that's going on in the YouTube community. There you go. Well, every time I think of her, I just think of her, her beautiful uh, advent calendar. Her beautiful £50 advent calendar. That only had 12 days. So, Do you have anything impressing? Because actually, I've seen a silly story here that might be in, in your avenue of interest, that there was a, a message in a bottle found on a beach um, that a young boy put in the water in 1994 and it's now been found 26 years later. I've always wondered, what did the message say? It just says, hi, please send this back to me. This is my name and my address and there's no contact him. I think he's like 30 now and he can't remember doing it. Nice. I think it, I think it travelled about nine, 100 miles, 100 miles it said it travelled. Let's get our comment. I think we might call more sports. So... The football. Where would you like to start? Right. So, how did the Celtic game go? Was there any exciting moments in that that we need to know about? And like, how much? What was the score, Brownie? What was the, what's the situation you've got? I'm going well, to I've seen. I looked nothing each. It was up there, and they had to win, and they didn't. So they win. get nothing each, but they still lost. It was did a they have draw. to get a certain amount of points they... to to get somewhere? Right. For a winner, you get three points. For a draw, you get one point, and no points for a loss. And to Mille keep quoi. in this, me and to keep in this, they needed the three points to keep in close with Rangers. But now they can't catch Rangers. The Daily Record has called them lacklustre Celtic, 
So, Michael, I know you're a Celtic fan, but in your opinion, was today's game a bad performance for them? Were they not on form? Were you no, upset I'm... or disappointed by them or what you've seen today? I know Michael did say his last night, even though he's a Celtic fan, he did anticipate that we're going to lose today um, and the Rangers were going to be successful in, in winning whatever the thing is that Rangers are winning. Um, but um, is, were you happy with today? Did they well? I don't understand. Like, I know it's probably just a pure cliche thing to say, but they pay these people millions of pounds and they can't score a goal in 90 minutes, not even one. Like The, the fact that everybody gets zero, how did they, they, what's the point in that? How is it worth the money? Many goals at all. What was it? Right, let's listen. So basically what happened today was Celtic put in the most convincing performance to draw uh, I think I've ever seen. It was almost like they were trying really hard to make it look like they were making a brilliant effort when really they were just playing for the draw. So what that then meant was that Rangers now mathematically have won the league with two old firm games yet to play um, with the next game being uh, Celtic at Parkhead. So Rangers have now won the league today um, and they come to Parkhead and, and, and our players have to give them a guard of honour as they walk out onto the park. But I think the, the, a guard of the other alternative was that Rangers played us at Parkhead in a couple of weeks' time and won the league at Parkhead, which would have been just not OK. No, that would have been a good one, would it? A guard of honour? What does that involve? Do they all stand with swords or something? Like, like a wedding? Clapping? I don't know. They're now the champions. So is all the Celtic fans then raging, Michael? Is this a, like a a downer of a day for Celtic fans, or is it something they saw coming, or what's the situation there? I'm reading the the sports section of the paper, which usually I just pull it out and bin. But I'm trying to just read this to get some insight here because I'm I'm really trying. I'm going to try with the sport thing and try and learn things, and Michael's going to help me because I don't know anything just now. I mean, we can do wrestling, but that's about the height of it. Yeah, I can do wrestling, some American sports, darts, that's that, but football I've kind of shied away from. I've got enough to talk to a drunk person in a pub. I I know I know phrases. I find out who the manager is and who's scoring goals. You go, he's doing hey, well, ain't he? In the papers today, cause I've heard of Alex Ferguson. I know, I know who he is. I know his face. Um, and it's a wee sad story for him, actually. It says he was given only a 20% chance of survival by his surgeon after suffering a brain hemorrhage in 2018. And he didn't think he was ever going to be able to speak again. That's really sad. He says, I remember estimating his mortality at that point was 80%. as an 80% chance he would survive. That was his neurosurgeon. He spoke at length um, during a film which premiered at Glasgow Film Festival, but they ordeally suffered. That's really sad. Um, that day there were five brain hemorrhages in the hospital and three of them died, Alex Ferguson said. Only two survived and I was one of them, so you know you're lucky. And the day I got out of hospital, it was a beautiful weather and I wondered how many sunny days will I see again? I found that difficult. The moments you're on your own, you have to, that fear that creeps into your mind that you don't want to die. That is where I was at. These things did flash through my mind a lot. Oh my God. Alex Ferguson is just known for being a hard-as-nails manager that they used to say that he gave people hair dryers ash by shouting in their face so much. That oh my was, gosh. That's what the phrase was, getting a hair dryer in. Let's listen to this one here. They don't they don't stand with swords, no. Um <laughs> but they, they do stand they'll they'll line either side of this sort of tunnel and out onto the pitch and the Rangers will run through um onto the park. It's gonna be horrendous. 
Um, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, Celtic have been outclassed. They've, they've had a basket tin mentality for the last couple of years. They went for the cheap option in Neil Lennon after Brendan Rodgers left. Um, they've made massive profits on transfer sales uh, in the last year or so. Um, the recruitment's been dreadful. And, 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 and Stephen Gerrard has, has built a Rangers team that functioned quite well. Not the best Rangers team ever. But yeah, he's done it. He's done a very good job. He's got to play him very, very, very good football. So, um, yes, well done, the Rangers. Which I don't know what to say. Oh, poor Michael. See if yeah. I can put a question to you because I'm just reading this article here about football games. They're talking about something at the Premier League, and what my question is is on sort of the mental health of players. So, as we know at the moment. The, the like the, the distancing and everything that you kind of go to football games and everything with all sports. But this person is saying he described what he has seen among players this season: sunken eyes, hollow expressions, drained complexions, retching in the dressing rooms after training sessions. The fatigue is real. The idea that unprecedented schedule jammed with fixtures is taxing footballers is no myth. But the numbers show something incredible. They suggest that not only are squads handling the demands, but they're taking their physical output to unprecedented lengths. The games are slower. The intensity isn't there. Everything's flat. Many many of us have thought we're watching Premier League in twenty 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 one, but we have been wrong, at least in terms of talking about how hard and fast and what volume the players are running. Flatness is an impression created by empty stadiums and saturation TV diet of matches, it would seem. So they're saying here that there's statistics showing that players are running further and faster than ever. And they've got sort of statistics over the past like three, four years showing like how far they actually have to run in matches and how fast they have to do it. So they've obviously got these like increased pressures and then like of, of how they have to perform and stuff and then things like this happening as well like the demands of like having to win and everything like that but in their mental health of like their fans not being there to support them and like the demands the club's like putting on them and stuff and then like you see all these people like cancel culture and everything like that like any tweet that you ever put into the universe is like trolled back on you and everything so like, I just wonder like the mental health of these people and like how hard they have to work that must be really taxing on them especially if they're not like I can go into something I know about like you can see in red with no crowd pushing them across, or like, like they're like the twelfth man. The crowd, like they would like people shouting your name, or yeah, want, that's what would push you across. And that's not there. It it just seems like a big practice game. Like you can when you watch it live. I don't know if football is doing it. I don't know if they're piping in crowds like the way wrestling is, but. Mm. But I just that, all... that was a, another opportunity yesterday for sort of Rangers fans to take that chance to come out to show like their team that they're there and they're watching and they're happy and appreciative and stuff like that. That was their way of being able to do it because they couldn't like go in and watch the games and stuff, but they could sort of be there, but they weren't supposed to be, but they were there. Yeah, they just showed up and they were like, I think that if I was younger and a football fan and that was going on, that would be something like. I would have went to that. Well, my mum would have, if it was the other way about, if it was Celtic, my mum would have went to that. Mm. Like, it, it's a big push and a big part of it is bred into these people. But the thing with the mental... Sorry. I, I, just, I, th- I thought it would be interesting to hear from Michael because, like, as we spoke about last night, um, he's like a football fan and stuff, but he plays rugby and that as well. Like, he was, as he told us, we were playing golf this morning. So, obviously, like, there's a lot of sports and it's like, involved in his life a lot. So, like, do you ever feel... That sort of thing that's like sort of pressure on you when you're playing sports to like achieve better things, like be faster and better and live up to the standards that the sort of professionals are setting. And that sometimes you just feel like it's like taking a toll on you. Like, or have you seen that in other people? Is that a, 
a concern for you somebody that plays sports a lot like do you see in like sort of your favorite football teams are you noticing the players are looking like done in let's listen to this comment yeah so if you if you look at it so manchester united are going to run out today in the manchester derby and i think that'll be their 43rd or 44th game of the season right um combination of league cup um fixtures and like European games and stuff like that as well. The season's not even close to being done down south. They, I think they've they've still got the best part of another ten games, ten, twelve games to play. Um if they go all the way in Europe that's another four or five games. So these guys are wiped and bear in mind they they do, they thrive for the fans and there's a lot of pressure and fans have been very, very vocal on different platforms and stuff like that as well at the moment because they're not getting to vent their spleen in the stadiums. So it's ruthless for them at the moment. And yes, they're well paid mm. and whatever else, right? Yeah. But they're still... Yeah, I think um, if you look at it, there's some value. That's the same one. Um, I've just, one of your contributors has sent in a thing saying... Um, the earliest title in 118 years. March 7th is the earliest date the Scottish champions have been confirmed since 1902-1903 when Hibernian won the title on the 20th of December with two of their 22 matches to spare. So that's nice. a, big, a big thing. The first time in 118 years. If I could, see, like, in the middle of this, by the way, if I can just take a wee moment to say, like, I, know, I don't want to bring the tone down or anything like that, but today, March 7th, is 16 years since my brother Christopher passed away and he died of a disease called adrenalite dystrophy. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment just to make you aware that that disease exists and there's charities out there. It's like a really rare disease. Nobody's ever heard of it. But I just wanted to take this moment today um, to just sort of remember Christopher. And my sort of thing in my life is that if I get to survive and tell his story, then that's like the best thing I could do. So if you could look that up and any time you've got to support a charity, and like especially you guys that play sports and stuff, if you can consider support, supporting a charity like Adrenalite Dystrophy, there's um, a, a charity called Alex TLC. And that started by a, um, a mother of a boy who died of adrenaline dystrophy and they raise funds and stuff in the UK and they're actually campaigning now for newborn screening because if they catch this disease at that sort of early level when they are newborns, um, there's a chance that you could cure them because otherwise it would, it would be a criminal diagnosis. So if you guys can just keep that in mind and if you ever have to raise money or donate to charity or even on Amazon, you can go to a thing that's like smile.amazon or something and whenever you buy something that puts money towards that charity. So if you can just keep it in mind and remember that just for my brother Christopher because today is like a day that we're all remembering him we would appreciate that so much so thank you I don't want to bring the tone down it's not sad or anything like that but I just wanted to like, raise awareness to it while I can I know today's tough for you and this is 12 years 16 years 16 years no he was what age was he when, when he, he was 10 when he died oh we're getting mixed up numbers there I'm very sorry I, no I sorry lots of numbers it, the thing he also is it's easier to look up ALD. That's what it's called. Um, if you look up ALD or the um, Alex TLC is a charity, or if you look up Fight ALD or something like that, you'll come across it. Um, there's a lot of stuff online you can find. But um, we're going to have to round up now. So we're going to have to like go and do other bits today, and we're getting to our time limit anyway. But if there's any further contributions you've got and you want to chat anything about us, you can go on at Mouse of the Clyde on Instagram, and we'll chat with you. 
We're going to be back on Wednesday with our news roundup. We might do one on Monday. We'll see how this Megan and Harry thing goes and if it explodes and how the news is going. We might be back on Monday. We'll, we'll see. But if not, it's our usual show on Wednesday. Um, and if we can thank Michael for coming on again and talking to us about the football, we really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll come back again and speak to you in the future. Um, and if we can thank our sponsors as well, the Inverclyde Bowler Company, we really appreciate them. And all our regular listeners as well that's came on, Whiskey Chaser always comes on and we love her so much and we appreciate her. Thank you so much. And we'll, um, we'll be back and we'll see you uh, next week. We'll see you next week. Wednesday will be that. We'll probably watch that Megan and Harry thing tonight. Yeah, but keep keep following our um, Instagram because we put bits on there and we like chat news and stuff like that. Um, and if you do run a local business and you want like a shout out on a podcast or on our social media, just send it across. We love supporting um, local businesses and stuff like that, and we appreciate everybody listening. Um, if you can, if you wouldn't mind going on and like following our uh, podcast and liking it and doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do, we really appreciate it. And we'll um, we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll, we'll, we'll see catch you then. later. Thank you. See you Wednesday. Bye bye.